last two times I have taught anything, I had to keep ages zero to 99 engaged, armed with nothing but three wigs, two hats, and my Bible. So um, who knows how this is going to go? Um, so I decided to completely switch gears and to go into like one of the deepest books that we've got, the book of Hebrews, um, which I'm super excited about. I, I really like the book of Hebrews. Um, Pastor Terry and I were just talking this morning, like, we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. God inspired someone to write the book of Hebrews. We don't know who that is, but they were really cool because it is just an awesome book. So if you could turn to Hebrews chapter 10, that is where we're going to be in today. Hebrews chapter 10 is really, really great. Um, before we dive into it, I want us to kind of... Uh, keep an eye on the, the full scope of the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews was written to Hebrews, right? Uh, the Jewish people who had come to faith in Christ, in Jesus, as the Messiah that they had been waiting for. And they were enduring persecution. It was hard to have faith in Jesus at the time. Not everybody within their background, not everyone within their family, not everyone within their synagogue agreed with them to have put their faith in Jesus. And they were suffering some consequences for believing in Jesus as the Messiah. And some of them were struggling with this. Is this really worth putting my faith in Jesus if I'm struggling so much with this? And the author of Hebrews, throughout a lot of it, is arguing the value of putting your faith in Christ putting your faith in Jesus as the Messiah. So let's read through a little bit of Hebrews chapter 10. If you could just start with me in verses 1 through 18. And what we're going to do is we're just going to walk through this chapter. And there, there is some deep stuff in it. It's really, really awesome. And so we're just going to walk through it and, and talk about it as we go. So Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. I don't have my clicker. Perfect. There we go. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings have not, you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you've taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. So let's take a second and just unpack this spot here real quick. The law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true forms of their reality. This chapter just starts right out the gate with really, really confusing, deep stuff, right? What the author of Hebrews is saying is you had the law, right? We call it the Old Testament, right? And in this law, you had the way by which that you repented of your sins and you had those sins atoned for, right? And that was through sacrifice. And that, that's how 
God had established it. Every single year, the people would come to the temple in worship and praise of God, and, and a, the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies and stand before God on behalf of the people and offer the sacrifice to God to atone for their sins. And the people would come again the next year, and the high priest would be standing there, and he would enter into the holiest of holies, the innermost sanctuary of the temple where no one was allowed but him. And he would enter and stand before God on behalf of the people and offer a sacrifice that was an atonement for their sins every single year, over and over and over again. And the, the author of Hebrews is arguing here the fact that they had to keep doing this, the fact that we had to repeat this process every single year shows just by that that it wasn't fully effective. It didn't actually get the job done. It didn't fully get rid of the sins. There was something else that was needed. Otherwise, we could have just stopped. Here's my sacrifice. I'm done. Yay, my sins are covered. I'm good. I'm, I'm good with God right now, right? I'm, I have been atoned. But that, that's not what we had to do. Every single year, guess what? You sinned some more, so you had to go back. And the author of Hebrews is, is saying, so, so here's the thing. This actually was more of a reminder of that you haven't stopped sinning than it was actually the atonement for the sin. There, there was something else not quite there yet. It, it was a shadow of what was needed, but not quite the thing that was needed. So what happens? God the Son came into the world. And we, we have this, this almost a conversation that, that Jesus is having with God the Father, right? Sacrifice and, and offerings you have not desired. This isn't working. This isn't what you want from them. But a body you have prepared for me. This is going to be something different, a, a more complete of what you have been showing them. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Every single year, you, they have to keep doing this. We have to keep engaging with this because it's not the full culmination of your plan. And I said, this is Jesus talking, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. As is written in the me of the scroll of the book and showing that this has been a fulfillment of the prophecy. This is what God has been planning for. This is not just something that just kind of happened. It didn't just show up, but this was a part of what God had been gearing up for as we read all throughout our Old Testament of that entire history going on before that. Continue with me in verse 8. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these offered according to the law, you'll find them in the law, you see how God describes there to be. Verse 9, then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. You have the first set up, the, the thing that is a shadow of what, what was needed, of what was necessary. And then you have the true reality that is going to set that aside and say, okay, it's time for the real thing now. And by that will, we have been sanctified 
through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That was it. That was the thing we needed. That was the one and done true answer that we needed was Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Keep reading in verse 11. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after that, saying, this is the covenant that I have made with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sin and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Jesus gave to us the ultimate sacrifice. Year after year, the high priest stood before the people, entered into the Holy of Holies, and stood before God on their behalf every single year, having to repeat this over and over and over and over again. Jesus comes and says, I offer myself. He sacrificed himself on the cross. He died on the cross so that we may be atoned. And it was the perfect solution. It was the answer that was needed. And so when he was done, and, and then we have the author of Hebrews arguing, how do we know that this worked? How do we know that this was the final and full completion of this plan? Because he didn't continue to stand before us year after year. He sat down at the right hand of the Father because he was done. My dad and I, when, when I was growing up, um, would do yard work together, right? Um, we had this, we, we had it down to like a science, right? My, my dad was so proud that we could get our entire lawn done in under 20 minutes, right? That, that was, you know, and so we had this whole system. He would run the mower and I would be his bag runner, okay? So he, we had two bags for our lawnmower and he'd empty one bag and hand it to me and I'd run and empty it while he'd just take off and keep going, right? And, and we would spend a good long time working on our, our yard. The, they were some of the greatest Saturdays we had in our summer, right? And so we'd mow the lawn, we'd take care of a bunch of other stuff, and we'd do all this work. And, but there was one thing. You don't stop until the work is done. That was, right? Now, for him, it's his house, all that. Cool, great. That, that's what he wanted. Not necessarily what I wanted, but, you know, you had to do it, right? Because Dad said, that's what you're doing. And, you know, I'm an awkward middle schooler, my hands are growing too big, so I always keep them in my pockets. Get your hands out of your pocket, you gotta keep doing stuff, right? And so, okay, Dad, I'm sorry, and we'd, we'd keep moving, and, and there was no stopping until the work was done, right? But then when we were finished, some of the greatest times I've had with my dad, we would go and grab, grab a Coke from the fridge, and we would sit on the bumper of his truck, and we'd both sit there and drink our Coke and kind of look over and, and, and see all the good work that we did, all the nice, clean, straight lines of the fresh-cut grass and smell the nice, new, fresh-cut grass and see the wonderful lawn. When we were done with our work, we, we sat and we, we enjoyed 
what came from all of that. Now, we weren't waiting for our enemies to sit under our footstool, but, you know, that's, that's kind of the picture that I get, right, of, of Jesus sitting down at the right hand of God, overseeing his church now as its head, his people who now he can have this beautiful, wonderful, new, loving relationship that was not possible before now. And because of what he did, by that single offering, he perfected for all time those who are being sanctified, those who have put their faith in what he did for them. And because of that, God remembers their sin and their lawless deeds no more. I just want us this morning, part of what I want us to do this morning is simply realize and recognize together and within our own hearts just how big of a deal that is. He's laying this out for us so that we understand this is huge. We've had throughout, before that, humanity trying to reach to God. And, and we don't just see that in, in the way that God provided for his people, but we see people attempting to do this throughout all different sorts of religions and different ways of, I want to know who the creator is. I want to know who God is. And, and a lot of them, while they have, and, and when I was studying philosophy in college, this is one of the things that drove me nuts about studying philosophy. You'd hear some of their ideas and like, oh, they were so close, right? They, they almost figured this out. But without Jesus revealing himself to them, they just didn't quite make it. They were a shadow of the reality that we live in. And without what Jesus did, we could not get there. We could not have this incredible loving relationship with Christ. And we couldn't have the new life that we can now live in him that comes from that. And that's what the author of Hebrews then continues on to describe here in verse 19. Continue on with me there. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. I want to stop there for a second and continue on describing what's going on here. We now enter into a, a even deeper concept, something that is, is very shocking, because it wasn't just that our sins were forgiven. It wasn't just that we have this wonderful new forgiveness. The author of Hebrews introduces an idea that would have been completely shocking to those who, have, who, who grew up in the Jewish tradition, for, for those who studied the law and knew the law and, and, and knew how this worked by going to the temple with their parents every year and offering their sacrifices, you do not enter the holiest of holies. The, the, the sanctuary of the holiest of holies was the innermost part of the temple. And, and you had the outer courtyard and then the inner room, and then in the very middle was a room where the very presence of God resided 
It was where they put the Ark of the Covenant while they had it. It is where the, the pillar of smoke that was with the people of Israel as they were wandering through the wilderness, that is where it rested over in the center of the camp, right over the holiest of holies. Because And, and when people looked at that pillar of cloud and the, the fire at night, that is how they knew God was with them in the very center of their life, in the very center of their people. And the whole high priest was the only one who was to enter there, and he was only to do that to offer this sacrifice on behalf of the people. And, and they actually went through crazy measures to make sure that like, they were very, very careful and very reverent and very respectful of this space, recognizing that. The, the high priest had little bells on the bottom of, of his, I can never remember what that thing is called, but it, what's it called, Terry? Oh, man, I thought I could call you out on it. All right. See, I'm not the only one. So the, the little bells on the bottom of their little dress things that they wore, okay? Um, that's the closest I can get. Uh, well, tassels were like the, the prayer shawl thing, not quite, but almost. Um, but anyway, so they had little bells on there. You know why? So that they, everyone else who wouldn't go in could hear whether he was like, you know, still alive in the holiest of holies because they're not going in there to get him back out. They actually like tied a rope around him. And they'd pull him back out. If, you know, like it, that, that's how serious they took this, right? If they were to clean inside of there, they would actually like drop them in from the top, like the, the, the cleaning people, so that they would only see the one part that they were supposed to clean, and that was it, and then they'd pull them back out. Like They took this incredibly seriously. You do not enter into the presence of God with a sinful heart. You just cannot do that. So when it says, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus... That is huge. Because this isn't just the high priest. This isn't just those of the lineage of the, the Levites. This is those who have put their faith in Christ. Literally any of us. Brothers. All of us. We now, because of the blood of Jesus that has washed us, we have full confidence we can enter into the very presence of God because of that accomplishing work that Jesus did for us. And that's huge. By the new, this is verse 20, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. Get it? Curtain that went in front of the holiest of holies that was torn when Jesus died. See how this all comes in the connection there? There is a new and living way. The new, because this was how Jesus did it, right? It had been done over and over and over again through the sacrifice of bulls and rams, and it did not accomplish what Jesus accomplished. But not only that, but it is also the living way. It's the effective way. It's the way that worked. It provided this new incredible life for us. And we have a great priest over the house of God. That's Jesus, the one who stands on our behalf before God and says, I sacrifice myself, I take that atonement so that they may live for you. Okay, so this is a big deal, right? That's what he's saying. That's what he's painting this picture of is just how big of a deal it is what Jesus did for us. So what do we do with that? Verse 22. He's saying, therefore, because of all of this, and, and since we have this great priest over the house of God, verse 22 what now? Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. 
What else? Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You have this incredible new and living way that we, we may now in, in, in engage with, that we may now draw near to. So do it. <laughs> That's what he's saying, right? He's saying Jesus provided this way. Take advantage of that. It's been given to you. What's that look like? Drawing near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Get to know God that you have a relationship with. Build this incredible loving relationship that you have with him. Hold fast to the confession that he, that he has promised this incredible life to you. Stir up one another to love in good works. This isn't something we just do on our own. We have been given this incredible life, all of us, so let's work it out. Let's live it out so that others can see it, so that we may actually live by the cleanliness that God has called us, right? If, if we've been sprinkled clean, if we've been called clean, then actually look like what he has called you to be. Until now, God's people stood in the outer courtyard and watched as the high priest would enter into God's presence on their behalf. They, he would do that vicariously for them. We now have our own access. We can now stand in the presence of God. We have the confidence to do that. Live for God. Do that. It, it, it makes me think of... of you ever gone to like those those car shows? They they have a couple of them. It, it's a really big thing up in uh, Port Huron at the Big Boy. I know that they they've got the the big car show that happens like it happened like literally every week. We'd have ones down in the different parks and stuff. They're they're really cool, right? Like you'd go and see all these really awesome cars. They're classic, really cool cars. And and the one thing that you know you you don't just go and touch another people's cars you don't get in and sit down in other people's cars like you don't do that right like no don't now my grandfather he owns a gto 1960 gto it's it's really cool i have this relationship with him you know what that means he's let me sit in the car right it's pretty fun right it's cool my um my my uncle uh his, you know, my grandfather's son, um, was actually given the incredible opportunity to drive that car to his wedding. So, like, we were all in the uh, the wedding party, right? Um, I was like a junior groomsman or something at the time, and uh, so we all piled into the GTO and we're we're gonna go to his wedding in this car, right? It was the coolest thing. We've got the windows down. We're driving. This is great. And uh, my uncle's like, okay, so we're going to make this really nice and shiny clean before we go. So we're going to take it through the wash, get it all nice and, you know, fancy. So when we pull up, it's just shining, right? It's that really nice red color. And, and so we go in and we head through into the drive or into the drive through like um, car wash. It's a 1960 car. We found out real quick the seals on the windows didn't work very well. Um, <laughs> we're all jumping to the back, trying not to get our tuxes wet, right? Um, We are given access 
to this incredible experience. We are able to enter into God's presence. Take advantage of that, but also do it right, right? Actually draw near together and spur each other on to, to, to love and do good works because of this access that we have. Don't just squander that. Don't just have it, but actually engage with it. Draw near to it and do it right because it's a big thing that we have that we can draw near to God and confidently stand in his presence. That's huge. So live in this reality that we were given. And what, what's amazing to me, like, it, it's so funny because, like, there are some things you read it in the Bible and you're like, yeah, that makes sense. That makes total sense. Yeah, let's do that. And then we totally fail to do it so often. Like, we, we actually fail to, to live by the, like, we read this and it's like, wow, this is like, you know, battle cry kind of stuff. Like, yes, this is awesome. This is amazing. We can totally do it. But then when life actually hits, it doesn't happen all the time. We sin. We, we cut ourselves off from our brothers and sisters in Christ sometimes. Hebrews in, tells us, don't continue sinning deliberately. Don't neglect your brothers and sisters in Christ because that's not a good thing. Why is it warning it? Because we do actually tend to do that. And so I encourage you with the very same thing that the Hebrews, author of Hebrews does. Don't do that, <laughs> right? <laughs> Which it, it, it's a simple thing, but, but don't continue to strive to live for this incredible life that we have been given. And, and just to kind of paint this picture of, of just how crazy it is that we do this, a, a Christian living in sin is very comparable to, uh, well, I, I should probably back up and give you some background on this. So the new Oculus Quest 2 came out, okay? Um, if you don't know what this is, I wasn't 100% sure on it like two weeks ago. I hadn't really gotten into it too much. Isaac, he's laughing right now, comes into uh, our study hub that we have on, on Wednesday afternoons, and he comes in and he brings this thing, okay? It's a, it's a virtual reality headset, okay? But it's a really well done one, okay? So like you put it on and like you look around and you can actually like, you're in a different space. Like you can see everything. It's awesome. So they've come up with really, really well done games, it's just beautiful design, all this stuff. And I'm like, this is cool. Abigail, you should try this. So she puts it on and then, uh, She's like, oh, yeah, that is cool. I come home the next day, and there's one sitting on our table, okay? <laughs> I'm like, man, I thought I was going to have to talk you into this. This is great, right? It's really neat. You can, like, enter into this virtual space. It's crazy. You can, like, sit down in front of, like, this campfire, right? And there's, like, the stars, and they've got the nice sounds going on, right? And it's great. But there is never in a million years that I would choose that over sitting in front of a real campfire, right? Like, the reality just does have so much more to it. To be actually, to be able to sit out and just stare at the campfire with it, just the embers glowing and the, the bugs, some of them annoying, but some of them just make that really nice atmospheric sound and the stars overhead and the trees. There is just nothing like it. And, it, and as impressive as this thing is, it's still, it's just a shadow of the reality. And when we sin, when, when, when we continue to choose to live in the life that we had before Christ, we trap ourselves in a world that's a mere shadow of what could be. 
mere shadow of, of something that God has given us full and complete access to. We're constantly then trying to, to feel the warmth of God's glory through dusty pages and empty cathedrals rather than truly engaging and entering into this incredible, loving relationship that we have. And we continue to do that even by coming to church sometimes, right? Like we come to church and it's just the thing that we do instead of it being truly the loving relationship that we have with Christ, with the fellowship that we can receive from our brothers and sisters in Christ, from spurring one another on to love and do the good that he has called us to do. And we have to be wary of, there are actually consequences to this. Keep reading with me. Uh, let's go to, let's see, where did I leave off? 25? Let's do verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much more punishment, do you think, will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he is sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So what he's setting up here is for those who have not fully put their faith in Christ yet, those who, because in, in the book of Hebrews, there, there is a, a, some people who were, they were, there were Jewish people who were kind of checking out this whole church thing. They were hanging out with the Christians, right? They, they were living this life thing with them, but they hadn't actually put their faith in Christ themselves. And now that this whole, you know, persecution thing starting to happen and, and like, they're watching other people who are starting to actually suffer for their faith in Christ. They're like, I'm not so sure I actually want to get into this, right? And so they're, they're, they're thinking it's not really worth it. And what the author of Hebrews is arguing is, no, it is because it is the answer. It is how we come before God. Live for him. Put your faith in him if you have not done that already. And if you have, then don't turn from that. How terrible is it to do, and, and I love how he words this, to trample underfoot what Jesus did for us by ignoring the life that he gave us and choosing to live our own. Wow, that's heavy. <laughs> But then there's some hope. There, there is, there is the, the right way, the good way that we can live. And that's how he finishes out this chapter. Read with me, continuing in verse 32. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Because you made it through this before, is, is what he's saying. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. And sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plunder of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. So he's saying, you made it through this before. You've seen all this. You've seen the struggle that can come in living a life of faith. It can be hard. But remember why you made it through that. You made it through because you knew there was something way better on the other side of this whole thing. Therefore, 
Verse 36, don't throw away your confidence, which has great reward. There is incredible reward for enduring this life, for living through the faith that you have in Christ. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But, this is how he ends this chapter, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and preserve their souls. So here's what I kind of want to end with with this today. What struggles of this life cause you to shrink back? What keeps you from living out God's will in your life? There are fears that we have that can keep us from actually living out what God has called us to live. There, there are things that we, we're just not sure are quite worth it. And it, it may not be that directly forward in our minds, right? We might not think, hmm, should I weigh God or everything else, right? I don't think we all sit down and do that all the time because the answer is kind of obvious, right? But in those little moments where we have to make quick decisions in our life and we're navigating through life, every once in a while, we may not directly think it, but we're choosing something else, something easier over living for God. And here's what I want us to consider today. We just learned from this chapter that we can enter into the very presence of God in confidence because of what Jesus did for us. That's big, all right? I want us to recognize how big of a deal that is because to enter into the presence of God as, as a sinful man who has not had any kind of cleansing from Jesus, who has not actually had his sins washed away, that would be absolutely terrifying. You are standing before the God of all of creation. And you live up to none of his standards. That would be terrifying. But I can actually stand before him in full confidence, not afraid, but instead actually love who he is and what he has done for me because of what Jesus provided for me. And then we go through our life and we're scared of these bunch of little things, right? Like, why is that? Why are we scared of anything in this life if we can confidently stand before the God of all creation who has all of the power and all of the strength and all of the might that we could possibly ever imagine? And we're cool with that. That we can do because we have the blood of Jesus. Then there shouldn't be anything in this life that can hold us back from living for him. And so I want to end this simply with the exact same way that the author of Hebrews does. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so so much for what you gave to us in the blood of Jesus Christ. What an incredible gift. What an incredible sacrifice. And I pray that today that, that this truth 
that we looked at, that we learned from Hebrews, will spur us on. It will drive us to live for you in such a way that we never could have without Jesus. Let us not shrink back from this world. Let us not shrink back from all the fears that we may have, from the difficulties that we may face. Because if I can stand before you in full confidence of your love and your care for me, then there is nothing in this world that can scare me. And that is an incredible gift from you. I pray that we can recognize that and live that out in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.